Isn't it funny? You can feel like you have your head around something and then a certain type of week happens, or in this particular case, a certain type of morning happens, and you realise uh, that there's more here than you thought. Um, God uses the circumstances around you to illuminate <coughs> what he's trying to say to you in his word. Uh, and likewise, he uses his word to illuminate your circumstances and show you his light in the midst of every struggle and every challenge. Um, this has been one of those sorts of weeks and one of those sorts of days, actually. I've preached this passage before. Um, I preached it uh, several years ago now, uh, back at Inogra Baptist Church over in Queensland. Uh, and to be honest, at the time, I thought I had my head well around it. Um, and, and up until probably two weeks ago, I thought I had my head well around it. Um, uh, and, then, and then I had a chat with a mate who was like, oh, have you noticed this in there? And, and, he, and I was like, oh, that changes everything. Um, and then this morning, uh, we got that message from Eric and Catherine, uh, and I, I suddenly just kind of saw 50% of this parable that I'd never really even given the weight to, to be honest. Take, take that as the moment of repentance that it is. Um, no matter how many times I get up and preach the word, I will always fall short of the fullness of what it says. Um, why don't we... Why don't we stop in light of that insufficiency of mind now and we're going to pray and then we're going to approach this. Jesus, you are so good and you're so able to illuminate our lives in your word and to show us your goodness and to lead us to trust you and to be more like you. You speak so powerfully into our struggles and against our idols. You lead us into a better way. Lord, you are the way. So Lord, we pray that today you would hold up your truth in the Bible uh, and that as that happens, you would speak to our hearts and lead us to be more like Christ. Amen. This is going to be different to my normal sermons, um, basically because it, it just got rewritten about 20 minutes ago. Um, that's, a, that's an overstatement of time, actually. We, we, we're coming to this parable today. Uh, we got to the end of last week, um, and, and I said that next week was kind of the same message in a way, uh, but, but with, a, with a spin of rebuke on it. And I stand by that, that's true. Um, in, in Luke 16, the first half... Uh, we had uh, this message from Jesus in a, in a very complicated parable, uh, but the message roughly was that Christians, Jesus, disciples of Jesus, give everything they've got for the sake of eternal gain. That everything we're given today, everything that we have in our lives today, exists in our lives for the sake of glorifying God and for gaining more of what is to come in the next life. That that's to be our focus, that that's how we use our money, that that's how we focus our time, that that's how we use our cars and our houses and our clothes and our lives and our tables and everything. Um, and today, um, we come to this second parable of Luke 16. 
Um, now, now Luke 16 is divided along the same lines that these last two chapters have been. Uh, Luke 15 started with those words. What did they say? Uh, the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him, to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumble, grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So, so you had these kind of two groups that Jesus is addressing here. On the one hand, there's the uh, tax collectors and the sinners, the, the, the least and the worst of society, many of whom were becoming the disciples of Jesus at the time. Uh, and to them, he's just given this first half of the chapter where he quite, quite uh, tenderly called them, live your lives for the sake of what's to come, it's better. And then the second half of this chapter is in many ways more directed at the Pharisees, but still there's a mix in here. It's, it's more in rebuke of the religious elites who saw themselves as the, the better people of their day, who saw themselves as having already entered God's kingdom, and it's intended as a rebuke towards them. And yet at the same time as Jesus speaks this parable, we see tender comfort for those in need. So, so we have a, a parable here of, of warning and of comfort at the same time. And it strikes me that this speaks to us no matter where we're at. Um, you know, maybe at the moment you are going through a time of great trials and you just feel like crying out to God, where is he in all of this? This parable today speaks to your situation. Uh, maybe you're not. Maybe you're going through a time in which you have quite a bit and you feel like things are going pretty well. And maybe the question in your tongue is, where should God be in all of this? How should I be using what I have here towards serving God? towards living for him. And this parable speaks to you in it, in that situation. Read this with me. We're just going to read bits and talk about them. Um, so, so, in the start of the parable, we get these first few verses that kind of lay the groundwork and introduce us to two characters. Jesus says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died. Just, just pause there for a sec. Don't, don't, is, could there be more contrast in this story? Um, we get these two fellas introduced to us. Now, the rich man, I want to say, is, is the one that I got that phone call about earlier in the week where he was like, have you noticed this in the parable? And, and what I hadn't noticed there is that the rich man isn't just a generic rich man. In, in speaking to these Pharisees, Jesus deliberately targets someone in particular. Uh, the, the clothing of the high priest, the leader of the religious establishment, the holy man of Israel in the day of Jesus would have been described as purple and fine linen. And at the gate of the temple, the poor sat and begged. And, and isn't that interesting? We get this description that sounds a bit like maybe he's actually describing the high priest. And this is the same high priest who later down the road, his name is Caiaphas, who will later down the road be the first authority that they take Jesus to, 
to condemn him and send him to the cross. And, and if that doesn't convince you that this is Caiaphas, by the way, uh, we get one more little detail about Caiaphas a little bit further down when he cries out to Abraham and says, send, send Lazarus to, to my five brothers. Isn't that interesting? You know, did Jesus pick a number out of his head? Well, no. Uh, Caiaphas uh, was the, the son-in-law of Annas, who had been the high priest before him. They'd made the high priesthood into a bit of a family racket, which in itself was a bit of a scandal, really. Um, but uh, one of the early church historians uh, tells us that, not early church historian, sorry, actually a Jewish historian from the early church period, tells us that uh, there were five sons of Annas who then became high priest after Caiaphas. And so in, in this culture, these are the five brothers of Caiaphas who then went on to lead the Jewish religious establishment after he had stopped. So Jesus targets the head of the Jewish religious establishment, the head of, of the religion that was meant to be the core religion of worshipping God in the day, and he says he had everything. He had purple robes. You know, they were the colour of, the, royal pri of the, the high priest. They were also the colour of, of royalty. He feasted sumptuously, not just at parties, not just on special occasions, every day. You know, that was Eggs Benny every morning. Um, he, he just had everything. And, and then we get this contrast between Caiaphas, who was the leader of the religious establishment, and a fellow named Lazarus. And what's interesting is that Jesus chooses not to name Caiaphas specifically, but chooses to name Lazarus specifically. Lazarus is the only person in any of Jesus' parables who gets a name. Fun fact. Um, and, and, you know, people debate whether maybe this refers to the actual Lazarus that we see in, in John's Gospel. I'm not sure if it does. It uh, doesn't make a huge difference if it does. Um, but what's really interesting is that, you know, Lazarus is just the dead opposite. And there's a reason why he's named. Lazarus, we're told... Is, is so poor that he is just covered with sores. You ever met anyone who's covered with sores? I have. I'm a, I'm a nurse when I'm not a pastor. Um, and and it's, it's horrendous. It really is the worst. Um, he, he desired to be fed with what fell from the table of Caiaphas. We've, um, we've got a son, Charlie. You've heard him already throughout this service at times. Um, he's one and a half. Uh, he he eats sumptuously, even if the food isn't sumptuous, um, because he you know he stuffs some in and falls drops some to the sides, and um, uh, you know the stuff that falls on the ground is not immediately the sort of thing that you go, huh, yeah, not usually. I mean, he does drop some pretty great stuff sometimes, but uh, you know, but imagine the the food that falls from the grown man Caiaphas's table. You know, the bit that he lets fall on the ground and he goes, oh, I don't even want to touch that. This is what Lazarus burned to eat because he was so hungry, so poor. You know, even the dogs come and lick Lazarus' sores. And, and in the end, he dies, right? What a, what a, what a hope-filled life Lazarus had, eh? 
Isn't, isn't Lazarus a picture of how we feel sometimes? I don't think any of us have gone through struggles like this guy is being described as having. I'm, I'm not saying we are Lazarus. But on the week when you find that horrible, horrible news has happened, on the week when you find that you're you know, losing your house, not to be too specific here, um, and you just go, where's the hope in this situation? You know, Lazarus' story in this life in everything that will ever be recorded in this world, literally is, he lived, he was poor, he was licked by dogs, that's the noteworthy event in Lazarus's life, by the way, and then he died. How utterly hopeless, and how, how utterly contrasted to the guy who had such a meaningful life. He was the high priest of Israel. He was clothed in the finest clothing and fed with the finest food and lived in the finest house. And, and, you know, I think the reason why Jesus specifically gives us Lazarus's name here is because Lazarus's name, as I said, means something. Lazarus's name means God has helped. Imagine if you were Lazarus and you had a name like that. Wouldn't you be tempted to just, just resent that? God has helped. How exactly? Poverty, dog-licking, death. It doesn't look all that helpful. It's a, it's a thing we go through, this the idea that, that we face struggles, that we just go, I know that God has said he is for me. And if you're a Christian, God has dedicated himself for you. He said, I love you and you are my son or daughter and I've called you in and you're in my family. And, and, and that passage in Romans is actually true. Uh, he works all things for the good of those who love him. And, and it goes on to say that they might become the image of his son. He works everything to make us more like Jesus. And yet, and yet the, the horrible moment of loss happens and we go, he, how is that working for my good? How is this going to end in good? But then, of course, we get to the reality of the situation. They both die. Um, read it with me again. We're in verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So... So what an incredible reversal now. The man who had nothing is taken and he's seated at Abraham's side. Now, if you're not familiar with your Bible, um, then, then you might not know this, but Abraham is kind of the guy in the Old Testament. He is the father of the father of the father of Israel. Um, he is... he <laughs> Actually, no, he's the father of the father of Israel. Uh, but, but he uh, is... Kind of the, the man who received the promise. Um, our, our gospel communities at the moment are going through a thing called God's Big Picture. And the next part that we all look at in many of those is the promised kingdom. And Abraham's the guy who receives the promise. That God is going to come. That God is going to build a people. That God is going to save. That God is going to bless all of the families through the earth. And this promise comes through Abraham. And then Lazarus goes and is seated next to Abraham. 
And Caiaphas, who had the big, meaningful, wealthy, wonderful life, goes to hell. Not to put too fine a point on it here. You know, it says that he was in torment. And in torment, he lifts up his eyes and sees Abraham with Lazarus in comfort. We should be led to ask the question, what's the difference between these two guys? You know, is Jesus saying that rich people go to hell and, and poor people, um, you know, they go to heaven? Is, is, that, is that the point of the parable? And, and the answer, thank you for shaking your head, Lucy. I really appreciate that. Um, is, is quite self-evidently no. Um, that would, would be completely disjointed with the entire message of the Bible. Uh, that, that your wealth status is what gets you in with God. Uh, the message of the whole Bible is that there is only one thing that makes a difference, and it's not money. And so it doesn't matter how much money you have. It's about faith. Last week we said the great steward of all of the possessions that he had, the, one who, the only one ever who did it perfectly was Jesus. It's whether you have faith in Jesus. There's the difference between eternal life and eternal death. But let's, let's hear this moment in this parable as the comfort it is to the struggler. So often we can face things that just seem like loss beyond reach. Loss beyond what I can handle. Grief beyond what I can manage. If you haven't faced that situation in your life, give it time. Um, and, and the Bible holds us out one hope. One, one hope that is so great, so, so prevailing, so powerful that it can speak against any loss, even the loss of your life. Which is that by faith in Jesus, we will sit with God in heaven. We will sit at his table. We will be comforted, even if we have sorrow and weeping now. Read on with me. And he, that is Caiaphas, called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in Anguish Isn't this just underlining again? What you had in the last life isn't, isn't what to focus on. You know, Caiaphas is sitting there in the flame and he doesn't go, well, at least I had a good life. You know? So many people live their lives today with the, the mentality, I better get what I can out of it now. With the Caiaphas thought, you know, I, I, I'll live for what I can. Even in churches, even people who sit in churches week in, week out, We'll go, you know what, um, my priorities this week are set by what I'm going to get out of this week. Uh, my, my target with how I live is, is that I'm going to get more today. You know, maybe a question to ask. Uh, if, if you've got a pay rise, you know, what happens with that money? 
What, what would be your first inkling with that money? Like, um, here's what we're trained into in Australia. We're trained into the fact that as you get more, you get more. Uh, you grow, you expand, both physically and metaphorically, to fit your budget. Uh, you, know, you, you start off on a fairly basic wage. This is, this is maybe the standard model. Um, you start off on a basic wage, you live a basic life. You work there for a while, maybe you get a better job or maybe you get, maybe you get a, a promotion and then you, know, you upgrade the car. You get another promotion, you upgrade the house, you buy your own house, you buy a nice house, you make sure it's got the things that you want. You spend your money for the remainder of your life upgrading the house. Eventually you buy a very nice coffin. Um, that, that can very easily be our mentality. That's the, that's, the, that's the boiling pot that we live in as people in Australia, uh, is the idea of upgrade. You know, TV screen sizes are a great way to think about it. As we get more money, our TVs get bigger. Um, saw one a while back that would have covered our wall. I was like, oh my goodness, that's insane. But, but at the same time, you know, uh, the TV that um, we had growing up, I would, if I had looked at my current TV when we had that TV, I would have potentially fainted. I don't know. So maybe this is a rebuke on my television. Um, but, but Jesus is saying here, the, the, the message of it is that it's worth nothing. The focus of our lives shouldn't be on that. The, the thing that's of true worth is what comes next. You, know, you can live a perfectly poor and awful life here, just genuinely awful have joy forever and that, that awfulness will seem like, the Bible says, a light momentary affliction in the weight of eternal glory. Or you can focus your life and live your life for everything you could have today. And that will seem like a light momentary waste of your time <coughs> in the face of eternal pain. Lazarus, not Lazarus, Abraham goes on. He says, he says, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from here, uh, from there to us. So, so... This life is the timer. And when it goes off, it's the opportunity is up. This is the time to turn to faith, turn to Jesus in faith. And if you have faith in Jesus, then take in mind that you will sit on the good side of that chasm. And, and nothing can defeat that. And if you lose your child, your child will sit on the good side of that chasm with you. You know, when we got that message this morning, I just couldn't help but think about, you know, we're currently pregnant. Brain went to the obvious place. If you can't compute what the obvious place is, ask, ask me afterwards. 
It's like that's, that's grief the likes of which I can't imagine. And yet there's a hope that fights the grief. And the only hope that fights the grief is the hope that's in Jesus. And what we're having revealed here is the same as what we saw last week, that what you, how you use what you have today reveals whether you've trusted in Jesus, reveals whether you've found the surpassing worth of knowing God. You're not saved by it. You don't get heaven because you used your stuff well. You use your stuff well because you've got Jesus. Caiaphas goes on. He says, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus is having a prophetic moment by the end of this parable, looking forward to his death and resurrection. But he says that just seeing someone having risen from the dead, you know, just that little thing, isn't enough. You ever have that thought that, that if, if someone, if we could just do a great miracle, you know, um, if old Morris's knee here would just be like, boom, it's better. Sorry, Morris, to pick on you there. Um, I know you hate it when I do that. Uh, then, then, then people would believe, you know, if someone would just rise from the dead, then people would believe. But the thing is that someone did rise from the dead and that's not enough in and of itself. Don't get me wrong, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power by which we live. It is the saving power for all who believe. But to believe, we have to have set aside the things that we worshipped before. God has to have changed our hearts. Jesus says... Uh, Abraham says, um, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And most of, most of the Jewish religious establishment didn't believe in Jesus, didn't, didn't come to trust in him. Because what they loved more was the world. Not to put too fine a point on it. That's what keeps anyone from trusting in Jesus. And praise God that he killed our love of the world and gave us a love for him. He brought us into Christ and gave us the resurrection power of the empty tomb. The message here is that there is hope. There is hope outside of this life. Hope that can conquer any grief, even though we still feel the grief. For anyone who believes in Jesus. And there is a warning here for anyone who does not nothing you could have in this life will be worth it in the end it is all God's stuff and it is to be used for him and the true riches can only be found by finding your true poverty and coming to faith in Jesus to give you the riches would you pray with me
Jesus. You have promised that those who believe, those who trust in you, have a, an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for us. Lord, let us trust in the inheritance of having God and living with him in our lives. In the inheritance of living with you forever in joy at the table of God, at the party of God, in a new heavens and a new earth where all of the things that we could have gone after in this world would seem like something we wouldn't want to touch. It would seem like the thing fallen from the table that we didn't want to go near. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us sure hope in Jesus. Help us to live as people of hope and to use what we have today in reflection of that hope for the sake of bringing others to that hope. Let us not be the Caiaphases. Let us not be those who just use our money for today and who may claim to love God. I'm sure he claimed to love God. Claimed to serve God. But in the end it was worthless because it was a lie. Because he didn't have faith. He didn't have faith in Jesus. And he didn't have faith that you are so much more than the things of this world. And it could be seen in the fact that he loved the things of this world. So, Lord, let us not love this world, the things that we could have here, the fleeting pleasures that we could have. Let us love you. And so lead us to be a people who show what Jesus is like and how we live, a people who are generous with what we have, a people who open our homes and our tables to those in need, a people who glorify you. And, Lord, let us be a people of hope, who when we grieve and when we've lost are not broken because our hope is imperishable, unfading and undefiled. Just, Lord, I just want to pray for those amongst us here who are grieving now, who are facing challenges of health, challenges in relationships, uh, stricken relationships, stricken um, health uh, challenges in, in loss and grief challenges in day to day living and in, in loss of possessions or of even home Lord, I pray that you would fill them with a sense of your hope and that we as your people could gather around each other and show the, the hope that we have in our generosity and love for one another Lead us toward the day when you return, Jesus, and to live in light of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.